Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday at 12 noon on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial, to defend and to promote public education. Now, I gave you all that information about 3CR because 3CR is very important and only 3CR would let the DOGS have air time and we're very, very grateful for it. But... um, We have a press release every week which we put up on our website at www.adogs.info and the one this week is press release 699. Follow the money. The 7 billion Gonski funding is minuscule when it's compared with the taxation expenditures. I'm I'm using that term, it's a very uh, technical term, taxation expenditures. For the wealthy. And listeners, taxation expenditures really mean concessions, exemptions. It's the unknown, the under the under the radar, things that are not paid, which actually makes the robber barons barons and very wealthy. Now these wealthy people, from the word dot, since the world began, have never wanted to pay for the education of those less fortunate than themselves through an equitable taxation system. Public education and the common good always suffer when the wealthy escape their fair share of taxation. And in Australia, this is very much the case. The social contract is in tatters in this country as the robber barons make a mockery of our taxation system and run all the way to their tax havens. According to the research published by the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, Australia is one of the highest taxation expenditures in the world. It tops the list of 16 OECD countries with taxation expenditures amounting to 8.5% of our GDP. In Australia, at the moment, the cost of the last two years of the Gonski funding plan, which was, remember, the plan to let some of the money for the wealthy trickle down to the disadvantaged children in our state schools and the private schools, um, that is estimated at $7 billion for the next two years. And that's an average of $3.5 billion a year. 
It might sound a bit, but the Turnbull government claims that they cannot afford it. After all, they have that massive debt. Why do they have the massive debt? They haven't got the taxation expenditures in, have they? But the 2016 tax expenditures statement released by the Treasury in January show the tax concessions mainly used by the wealthy will cost the federal budget $43.7 billion in 2016-17. So put your $7 billion against the taxation expenditures. These are just concessions of $43.7 billion. And that's not the full amount, of course, by long shot. In particular, and this is how they get to that $43.7 billion, superannuation concessions, which are usually used by the wealthy, will cost $33.1 billion, and the capital gains concessions will cost $9.6 billion. The latest mid-year economic and fiscal outlook MYFO report estimates that the cost of these concessions will blow out to $50 billion by 2019-20, which is an increase of $6.3 billion in three years. So the Turnbull government aren't doing anything about this. They are egging the wealthy on. The cost of superannuation concessions in those years will increase to $40.8 billion, and while the cost of the capital gains concession will increase to $9.1 billion. Now, they're not all the concessions by a long shot. Now, although the dogs regard the Gonski funding plan as an Australian-style voucher system masquerading under the guise of a needs policy, those at the coalface in public education, named the teachers and the students, are confronted with a tragic lack of resources and disadvantaged children in their classrooms. And they're desperate for crumbs from the table of the wealthy under any circumstances. And the Gonski 7 billion, which state school teachers and parents are chasing, fades into insignificance when compared with the above-mentioned tax expenditures, that is, the taxation concessions provided by Mr Turnbull to the Australian wealthy, including, no doubt, himself. Because he has his own tax havens, doesn't he? But we, they, they all laughed about it in, in Parliament, and, and that was the end of it. Nobody was really going to push that one. And the $7 billion becomes minuscule when it's placed alongside the total taxation expenditure figure that includes concessions provided not only to wealthy individuals and corporations, but also to wealthy private schools and religious organisations, just because, however wealthy they happen to be, with all their endowments and their assets and their income, they are labelled charities under common law just because they are either religious or educational. Gonski funding could be easily financed by reducing the revenue foregone to the wealthy through the superannuation, capital gains, negative gearing and other tax concessions and by reducing tax evasion. And there we start talking about uh, the... Cayman Islands and um, Mossack Fonseca. And we'll talk about that in a minute. 
The refusal of the Turnbull government to seriously challenge the tax benefits of the wealthy and fully implement the Gonski plan demonstrates that its priority is to support privilege at the expense of the disadvantaged. Now, Trevor Cobalt of Save Our Schools has provided us with some of these figures. He's a financial analyst who worked in the Productivity Commission and he's done the figures. And we'll talk in a few minutes about some more of these figures. But first we'll have a little bit of music. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Dogs, Defenders of Government Schools, DOGS. You've been listening to Jean, um, as she always does every week, tell us what the press release issue of the week is all about, and today it's tax. Um, we're listening, by the way, to a lovely piece of harpsichord music, played again by uh, David Kinsella. That's the Sweet in C Major. Um, a prelude, that's just a prelude. We might play the entire suite today, so that's just a prelude. There's more to come after Jean's got some more to say. Yes, well, I promised you that I'd give you a few more facts and figures about the taxation rorts that our wealthy in Australia get up to. Uh, the most uh, well-known one, of course, it came into uh, perspective last year, is the offshore uh, arrangements, the tax havens, and the uh, way profit—sorry, uh, the money is sent offshore—and the big companies and individuals claim that they have made a loss when they sell uh, things at a loss to an offshore office, and then it is sold on for a profit to another country. Uh, when Justice Murphy in the 1980s. Uh, pulled the rug out from under these in his dissenting reports in the High Court. Uh, he was well and truly punished. But we all knew about them. They've been going on for a long time. 
Uh, we've also known in the education sector about the bottom of the harbour, um, sorry, the bottom of the schoolyard schemes that most particularly the Roman Catholic uh, commissions, their, their bureaucracies got up to. But uh, here's some information about what's going on at the moment in Australia. The use of tax havens by wealthy individuals and large corporations in Australia to avoid tax is still rampant. The second tax transparency report, which was published by the Australian Tax Office in December 2016, shows that 36% of the largest 1,900 Australian and foreign-owned corporate entities did not pay any tax in 2014-15. And Mr Turnbull tells us and Mr Morrison tell us that they cannot balance their budget and we have to cut services to the very poor in this community. Now, one reason is that many of them transfer their assets and their profits to tax havens. A report that was published by Oxfam last year showed that Australia is losing 5 to $6 billion a year in tax revenue because foreign-owned multinationals based in Australia are shifting profits to 20 major tax havens. Well, there you are. You have almost your $7 billion for two years of Gonski. Certainly, um, you've got Two point five. You've got one point five more, one point or two point five billion more than the three point five per year that was required by Gonski. If you can just get on top of these um, tax havens, if the tax office had the accumulated wisdom and the manpower, because remember it was cut back by the Turnbull government, if they had the manpower to get this money in. Now, another report by the Tax Justice Network in 2015 found that the 200 largest publicly listed companies in Australia avoid up to $8.4 billion a year in corporate tax. Nearly one-third of those have an average effective tax rate of 10% or less compared to the statutory corporate tax rate of 30%. And they now want to bring the actual taxation rate of these uh, big corporates down, don't they? But I don't know why they're even talking about it because they're not paying any tax anyway. The companies have hundreds of subsidiaries in tax havens such as Singapore, Hong Kong, the British Virgin Islands, the Cayman Islands, the Mauritius, Luxembourg, Switzerland and the Channel Islands. And now it's going out of the uh, EU. It looks as if London and certainly Ireland are are hoping to be taxation havens for big corporates that are wandering or that are sending their capital around the world. The Panama Papers, which were published last year, revealed 118 offshore companies, trusts and foundations, which were linked to Australia as clients of Panama-based law firm Mossack Fonseca. Remember it, listeners? Uh, It was big news at the time. But of course, with all of this uh, blips of news that we get on our TV and the ABC and so on, these things are fairly quickly forgotten. But the um, material that came out of Mossack Fonseca facilitated massive tax evasion on behalf of the wealthy and corporations around the world. It showed what they were doing. 
The papers revealed more than 1,700 Australian directors, shareholders and or beneficiaries that were connected. But to date, the Australian Tax Office is investigating only about 800 Australians in relation to those Panama Papers. And you can bet your bottom dollar. If you've got a dollar in your pocket, if you're lucky enough to have a dollar in your pocket, then uh, you can bet that bottom dollar that uh, they're not investigating Mr Turnbull. But the government, with all of this um, exposure of these tax havens has announced its intention to introduce a diverted profits tax aimed at multinationals that artificially divert profits from Australia. This diverted profits tax will impose a penalty rate of 40% on profits transferred to tax havens that reduce the tax paid on the profits generated in Australia by more than 20%. However, and there's always a however in tax. The tax will only apply to companies with global turnovers of $1 billion or more. So that certainly won't pick up perhaps Mr Turnbull and his friends. It'll leave many companies free to continue to evade tax by diverting profits to tax havens and will only raise about $100 million a year out of the billions in tax that is being evaded every year. So uh, Mr Morrison and Mr Turnbull have appeared to do something, but really it's very minimalist indeed. And we have here a picture of robber barons, the wealthy in Australia are on a gravy train of exorbitant tax concessions and tax evasion. Their greed and their lack of any sense of social responsibility to pay their tax is due, um, that is due, is abominable because it denies, it denies so much to the disadvantaged and to the ordinary people, even the middle classes in our society. But um, above all, and this is where we are interested, dear listeners, it denies the children from the most disadvantaged families in our community the resources to ensure they have a successful school education and it doesn't set them up for life opportunities which are available to the rest of society. Now, the Gonski plan for all of its problems was designed to boost funding for the under-resourced schools and disadvantaged students and it looks as if that is now in grave jeopardy. Some money trickled through and things were really happening. But in Australian education, again and again, helping the, the disadvantaged children in our community has been a stop-go thing. And as soon as you have a needs policy, then the wealthy uh, and the people who know how to play the system, particularly the religious and other schools, uh, they make a nonsense of it. So it's a very sad situation, but... Um, the dogs are here to tell it as it is and to give you the information. Indeed. You're listening to the Dogs Programme. Let's have a little bit more music.
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the WWWs. A lovely piece of music. That was an Allemande, a little German dance there. That's the second in the suite in C minor. You can hear that for those people, those those music heads, uh, by uh, Louis Nicolas Clermont. Played on an organ made by a bloke called David. Well done, Dave. Dave Evans. Um, yeah, we are the defenders of public schools, and even though we have to take little, well, have to, even though it's nice to take little breaks into the calming world of early um, early eighteenth or late eighteenth century music, um, we are dealing with some quite serious things. When it comes to education policy, now I'll be doing an in-depth uh, study about the mendacity of the aspirational middle classes after a break. But before we do that, the New South Wales Teachers Federation um, are very happy about the new president of the ACTU. It seems like they got a little bit of fire in their belly. Something that I think Australians have been lacking in the political sphere, certainly when it comes to causes like education, um, for some time. And um, let's just hear a little bit more about what they've got to say. The report's called New ACTU Leader Gives a Gonski, and that was submitted by the NSWTF. New ACTU Secretary Sally McManus gave her support for the campaign to secure six years of the Gonski Needs-Based Schools funding model when she addressed Federation's March Council meeting this morning. Miss McManus joined Federation councillors in raising their hands in support of the Gonski campaign, as they clutched copies of the second compilation of Gonski success stories showing what has been achieved with only 18% of Gonski transition funding. The new leader of the ACTU said her interests in activism started when one of her teachers was sacked during the period when Terry Mefferell was education minister. She joined the historical August 1988 rally in the Domain, opposing the cutting of 2,000 teaching positions. Miss McManus made reference to the Fair Work Commission's decision to strip away Sunday and public holiday penalty rates. Federation has issued a statement condemning the Fair Work Commission's decision and deploring the Turnbull government's outspoken support of the decision. The statement notes the decision will result in a significant pay cut for potentially millions of the nation's low-paid workers, including student members of the Federation who are working in retail, hospitality and pharmacy to support themselves financially while completing their university studies, casual teacher members who rely on work in other industries due to the precarious nature of their casual Department of Education work, the thousands of school students who are employed in these industries after school and on weekends. The Commission's decision is both unfair and unwise and stems from an ideology that says the supposed needs of business must always triumph over the interests of workers. This decision is the latest attack on Australia's least powerful and most vulnerable workers – The Federation resolves to campaign with and support other union members across Australia to stop this pay cut and protect penalty rates now and into the future. The statement concludes, Miss McManus joined Federation councillors beside a Gonski bus parked on a nearby Surrey Hill Street following her speech to raise a cheer for the success of Gonski bus tours so far. In recent weeks, the bus tour has been raising publicity for the Gonski needs-based funding. 
campaign in New South Wales, Queensland, Victoria and Tasmania. Two buses will converge on Parliament House, Canberra on Wednesday for a big media event. Thanks, Andy. Um, yeah, again, uh, yeah, Wednesday. Wednesday is the day. AU and the New South Wales Teachers Federation are starting to kick up because there's things, obviously, that need to be kicked up about when it comes to education policy and funding in Australia today. Um, as I was promising before, I'll be doing an in-depth analysis of the particular types of mendacity available to the Australian middle classes um, in, a, in a little place called Bo Morris um, after another piece of music to calm us down. Let's make it the largest walk yet. Demanding permanent protection in Australia for asylum seekers found to be refugees, closure of detention centres and freedom for all refugees. Join the Palm Sunday Walk for Justice. Hear a human rights lawyer, a teacher, a refugee and a panel of interfaith speakers. Sunday the 9th of April at the State Library in Swanson Street at 2pm with our walk through the city finishing back at the State Library by 3.30. Organised by the Refugee Advocacy Network, a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to the Dogs Programme here on 3CR. Again, 855 on the AM dial and podcast through the WWWs. That was a current. That was the third movement in the Sweet NC by Mr Clarumbo. Um, thanks again. Thanks again for David for playing it for us here on the radio. Um, we are defenders of government schools and before I start my little rant, as I often do, um, I'd just like to remind the listeners that in Australia today, if your parents are wealthy, your children will get a good education. There's a very good chance. If your parents are not wealthy, if they're poor, the education they get will be, on average, as a mean, three years behind those of the children of the wealthy parents. Now, this is an assumption that's built into every, all education policy in Australia today. This is what the academics just assume. It's what the politicians assume. Everyone just assumes it. Here at the Dogs, we don't assume it. We think that's disgusting. 
We think that's not right. We think that's actually something that a civilised society would not tolerate. We don't tolerate it, which is why we fight to defend public education, because public education is where the children of everyone have the right to go, rich and poor alike. Not just poor children, but everyone. Um, but in the world of neoliberal market economics and how it plays out in education, this, this, this problem, and it is a problem, it's a disgusting fact, but it's also a problem that if, you go, if you're wealthy, if your parents are wealthy, not you, if your parents are wealthy and you're a child, then you have a three-year head start on the children of parents who are not wealthy. This presents as a problem to every parent around Australia. And there's several solutions to this. And in Australia, um, some of the solutions are horrific and I think quite mendacious. But before I go into a very specific case, as I did last week when it came to the Richmond Secondary College issue, which is now called Melbourne Girls High, I'd just like to take a little aside and tell you a bit about what's going on in Tasmania at the moment. Now, Tasmania has uh, the worst education system of any state in Australia. Um, you go, oh yeah, well that's right, Tasmanians are like that. This wasn't always the case in the 70s and 80s. Tasmania had one of the best education systems of any state in Australia. But it's fallen behind um, due to educational policies for the last 10 to 15 years in Tasmania specifically. Australia, by the way, is falling behind the rest of the world. We're no longer in the top tier of educated nations. Uh, we're falling behind very quickly. But Tasmania is falling behind qu quicker than most. I'd like to quote here from a press release, or a talk actually, given to the Australian Education Union's Tasmanian branch on Saturday, March the 25th this year. And just to give you an overview, of what, and this gives you an overview of what's going on in Tasmania. In Tasmania, government funding to private schools has increased by seven times that of public schools in the last 10 years. So the increase has been seven times more than it was for public schools. The Labor government slashed state funding to public schools between 2009 and 10, And in 2014, the Liberal government cut further all the way up to 2015. Overall, public school funding increased slightly, but this was due to increased Commonwealth funding. And for every dollar that the Commonwealth put in the state took out for public schools. Not for private schools, but for public schools. Now, despite its claim that the state government's actually doing the right thing, the figures from the Productivities Commission report on government shows that the Hodgman Liberal government failed to honour its commitment in its first year of office. It's just not passing on the money at all to the state schools. Oh, they're passing it on to the private schools, but not the state schools. It cut funding per student, adjusting for inflation, actually for private schools, but definitely in much greater cuts for public schools. Now, the latest results from the OECD's Program of International Student Assessment, which is called PISA for short, we often talk about it here in the DOCS program, show that Tasmania has the worst school results in Australia, with high proportions of students not achieving international minimum standards. Now, when I say high proportions, um, that's between a quarter and a third of all the children in Tasmania don't reach minimum standard for the international um, benchmarks for education. Don't meet the minimum standard. That's getting up to third world situations. And that happened, of course, um, from the latest results as well as the ones that have been going back for the last 15 years. Now, low SES and Indigenous students in Tasmania aren't three years behind their wealthy children peers, they're four years behind 
even further behind. So if you're a parent in Tasmania and you have a child, you go, well, I've got a problem. The government's not solving it, so I have to solve it for myself. And the same is also true in the sleepy little hollow in Melbourne of Beau Morris. Beau Morris. Yeah, the parents are attempting, in the only way they can, to solve the problem for their child. Now, often here on the Dogs Program, we make a very strong distinction between the children, that is, the children of Australia, and my child, or the child. Now, parents have been told, and they believe it, that they live in some neoliberal nightmare. And if they want what's best for their child, it's sink or swim for them. They have to fight, and if they have to climb over the bodies of other people's children, they'll do it because they love their children very much. They will do what they need to do to get what's right for their child, even if it means some other child suffers. And that's exactly what's happening in Beaumaris. In Beaumaris, which is a reasonably wealthy suburb in Melbourne, it's not a particularly poor suburb, there are a number of state schools. Um, of the state schools, some of them have been more successful than others, um, and a very large proportion of children in that area have parents who have bought their way out of the public school system, subsidised by the government, of course, and they send their children to private schools. But as time goes on and the world gets a harder and harder place, and we have been on air for some time, um, the parents of Bay Morris have in all sorts of ways been listening to us and people like us who are saying that private schools are a waste of money. And they want to send their children to state schools, and so they have been. But they want to send their children to a state school that isn't polluted with poor children. They want to send their children to a state school, but not a, not a, not a nasty state school. They want to send their children to a nice state school. Now, what does this mean for the nice and the nasty parents and the nice and the nasty children? Who knows? Because these parents are in a position where they have to be self-interested. Now, what's happening in Beaumaris? Let me describe what's happening. In Beaumaris, they're building a new school. It's a new state school. It's going to cost $20 million plus. And that'll be a public-private partnership? The construction of the process is, in fact, as Jane quite rightly points out, a public-private partnership, which is to say that it's built by a private company and then we, the taxpayer, lease it off them for a period of 25 years. Paying and pay maintenance costs. And pay maintenance costs and actually end up paying a fair bit more than $20 million, But that's the cost it is to the, the private company that's, that's building. It's going to be a very nice school, the Beaumaris School. It's in a nice area and there's lots of nice people nice wealthy people with nice children who want to send their children there. But with all things like this, there are other state schools in the area. Um, and the other state schools apparently aren't as nice as this new school that's going to be built. Now, where am I getting this information from? Am I getting it from the education pages? No, of any newspaper? Not at all. Am I getting it from the internet? Not really. I'm actually getting it from an internal document circulated amongst, get this, real estate agents. Real estate. What's a real estate agent got to do with school? Well, let me explain. Now, there was an announcement last week of the zone for this new public super school. That is the catchment zone, the, the, the streets and the houses from which children uh, are entitled to go to this new super school. Um, and the um, real estate agents are interested because that is an instant, overnight, just as soon as that meeting is finished, there is now a property bubble in Beaumaris. The price of houses that are included in that zone have just risen by a hundred thousand dollars each, premium, because they're now in the zone for the nice new school. 
still worth more to pay that for a house then than to send a child to a private school. Indeed it is, which is why the aspirational middle classes in their mendacity are willing to invest in property rather than in paying private school fees, which, quite frankly, is a reasonable, you know, it's a reasonable financial argument for a household, if you have children, to do that. Now, at a recent meeting, as I say, it happened a couple of weeks ago. This school, by the way, doesn't open until 2018. Um, at this recent meeting, the property values went up on an average of about $100,000, just to start with. Now, this benefits some people, but the residents... <laughs> The residents of Black Rock, a nearby suburb, and Chelsea, another nearby suburb, are furious because their homes are not in the zone and they miss out on this new boundary map and they say the zone is smaller than they expected and may have to mean that they sell their house and buy a new house inside the zone. They're also, by the way, and this I think this is fascinating, I love the middle classes. People should people people like Krista Shocker should write more books about them because I think they're hilarious. The trouble is, do you know what they're, they're really being, jumping up about? There's not so many of them around. They're being they're they're really missing out. The middle classes they don't really understand the way they did what's happening in Australia is what's happened in the America in in America. Oh no! But they they've certainly produced a Trump, haven't they? Unfortunately, in a generation, Jean, they've it's bought they've bought the neoliberal myth. The yeah. idea of all these parents getting together and demanding that all the schools in the area be of an excellent standard. Imagine the power of that. But no, it's divide and rule. Oh, but the thing that gets me, Jane, is do you know what they're really upset about? There are three golf courses or several golf courses that are included in the school zone. And they think <laughs> they don't want the golf courses to be in the zone. Oh, they, that's fair enough. They Robert. want, oh, they, come on, Robert. They want their houses to be in the zone. <laughs> Have a little bit of tolerance for these poor people. So in an interview with a real estate agent, uh, Michael Cooney, who's actually director of the Hodge Group and manager of the Beaumaris office for the Hodge Group of real estate agents, says homes inside the new zone are now likely to increase by 20%, just as a base rate. So for many of them, that will be up to $200,000 on the top, just because they had this meeting. All that will happen is for the Reserve Bank to raise the interest rates 1%, and these people will be in bankruptcy zone. That's the sad thing about all Indeed. this. Yeah, we'll be continuing on with this little story of Morris. I think, after these messages and a little bit more. David on his harpsichord.
3CR presents a great night of entertainment at Bella Union, Thursday the 27th of April. Jonathan Alley will MC a stellar lineup, including... 3CR DJs Kate and Susie spinning tracks for a lazy Thursday night. Fiona Scott Norman's one-woman show, The Needle and the Damage Done. Ian McFarlane's book launch of the Encyclopedia of Australian Rock and Pop Music. And an unleashed version of Super Flutie's Free Association radio show with Clem Basto, Casey Bonetto, Scott Edgar and Christos Chorkas. That's Saturday, the 27th of... Thursday, the 27th of April, Bella Union at Trades Hall. Doors open at 6.30. For tickets, go to bellaunion.com.au or at the door if not sold out. This is a 3CR benefit. So see you there. Yeah, Thursday the 27th, not Saturday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. benefits are good things. That little piece of music, by the way, was the Sarah Band from the same suite. We've still got the gig to go, but that's all right. The gig is a dance, not necessarily me going out and playing music. But anyway... That's a bit of a in music joke. Let's just leave all that behind because we're going to get back to back to the glorious parents of Bo Morris. Now, the whole thing about building this new school is being built for six hundred and fifty students, and it's replacing the rundown Sandringham Secondary College. Now, I love it. This whole of the rundown. I've been to this rundown Sandringham Secondary College. Kids there are great, just by the way. Because kids are kids. I don't care if they come from rich families yeah, or poor families. It was family. built in the nineteen fifties, wasn't it? Was uh, early sixties. Chicken. We called them the chicken coop. Houses. Well, I tell you what, if you gave the rundown sec- Sandringham Secondary College $20 million, it wouldn't be a rundown Sandringham Secondary no, College. It'd no. be a beautiful school built in beautiful grounds. Lovely children. But of course, they won't do that because middle class wants something bright and shiny and new, and everyone's what they want, so that's what they're going to get, apparently. Well, I hope they don't close the Sandringham College. I hope they do. Uh, the Sandringham, it has money. several campuses. The third campus is on the corner of Balcom and Reserve Roads, will be closed down and replaced by the new Bo Morris one. Right. But. To build the new one, they have to remove 200 trees. And, of course, the one thing that <laughs> aspirational middle-class people can get together and complain about isn't education, it's chopping down trees. So all the aspirational middle-class people got down and complained about the chopping down of trees. I shouldn't laugh. What sort chopping of trees? Chopping down of trees, oh, they're, oh, they're, they're very important trees. Oh, no, no, if they're, if they're plain trees, they can go. But are they oh, yours look, or they? Jean, <laughs> I wasn't there. I have to say I have no interest. I'm interested in education stuff at the moment. But anyway, there was this whole the whole thing with they were worried about their trees, so they, they came to some some conclusion. I think some trees were chopped down but not many. But the aspirational parents still got to have their nice bright new shiny school for six hundred and fifty students, which promoted excitement from all the locals and families and children. It's gonna be wonderful. Um he said while families may be keen to move into the zone to secure the places for their children for this new school, the real estate prices are interesting. Entry level for a family home in the zone uh, will start from around $1.4 million, he said. Oh. Now, he says, that's okay. Some families may hope to buy an investment unit in the zone, rent it out to some nice refugees or something, and then use that as the cheat that they can get their kid into the school. And that might be the answer to winning it, winning a place, because it's all about winning and losing, winning a place for their child. Um, but, of course, the pl- that plan may not work because the aspirational middle classes will stop people building units in their nice leafy suburbs. <laughs> so there's no <laughs> units for them to buy. There's a shortage in the area because they don't like those nasty working class units next to their nice houses I, I in Bay Morris. I thought you had oh, this to is, rent it this for is two hilarious. years. I thought you had to get a lease for two oh, years to show to the school. I, I don't know. <laughs> That's cheaper. No, it? but if they buy it, I think they can just buy their way in. 
Now, Mr. Cooney, this is this is the real estate agent. He believes property in Bamaros may soon see a noticeable spike in prices. Well, duh. In the same way that's already happened in the McKinnon Secondary College, another good state school, and Brighton Secondary College, another good state school. Now, local parents have been told their children may still get into the new school if places are not filled by children from within the zone. Um, yeah, I think they um, middle-class aspirational parents want the security of a good state school, not the possibility. Oh, by the way, and poor kids, go and um, damn yourself. <laughs> we don't really care about those. We're just talking about my child. Anyway, many who have complained for years to have the new high school have flooded social media sites and have written to the Department of Education voicing their concerns over the zone. Yes, they're mobilised. Not together to improve the other schools in the area. Oh, no, 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 they won't mobilise for that. They'll mobilise to make their nice new special school one that they can send their children to. Penny Stewart hoped her youngest child, this, this is a parent, Penny Stewart, hoped her youngest child, child Matthew, who's 10, and Maddie, aged 8, would attend the new school in the future. But their street is in Black Rock, not in the current zone. She says, and I quote, I have been supporting this project all along, so it seems ridiculous, she said. I think she's, I think she's saying that I deserve one. She said, I presumed any child who went to Black Rock Primary would, would get a place. But, but that's not the case. It's not fair. I mean, I, I fought for this school, and, and it, it's my age. It's just not fair. And my, school, my child has to go to another state school, which isn't just, oh, another... But it doesn't occur. It doesn't, doesn't occur to you, Penny, that maybe the other school, improving that and giving a couple of million dollars to that and making that a good school. So you have two good schools, not a good school and a bad school, might be the solution to the problem of your child's education. I'm being quite nasty here. I no, am no, sorry. I'm sure that at the end of the day, the pen, Penny and others will transfer their middle class new 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 political awareness to fighting for the school and that's why you need them. You mm. do need the middle class. Well that happened in, in Coburg, schools didn't it? With, yes. Yeah, the fight for Coburg secondary yes. that's because none of them wanted to send their children across Bell Street to the nasty state schools up there. They wanted their own nice one with nice parents and nice friends so that they could have their nice school. Anyway, Sophie Brown, who has two children, another parent two children at Black Rock Primary School, said her family would consider renting quite soon in the zone if it meant securing a place. So renting a house across the street so because the school was that important. Until the meeting, we were feeling pretty secure in the fact our eldest son would be starting at Bone Morris next year, she said. She also said, now that we've been thrown into turmoil, it's causing quite a lot of stress in the household. Our son is quite upset and probably depressed about it. And he, he wants to go to a high school that, that I want him to go to. And, and he'll, he'll, he'll be, he's very upset about that. Now, a spokeswoman for the Department of Education says there is still a chance the boundaries will change. Yes, the map given out of the information evening was indicative of the department's currently finalising the exact boundary for Beaumont Secondary College. Well, Education Department, what you don't realise is that there are millions and millions and millions of dollars hanging on property values upon your drawing a line on a map, which I think... I think it's disgusting. I think for parents that is a solution to the problem and that we get back to the original problem, that a poor child in Australia, education level is three years behind a wealthy child. That's the problem. That's not an assumption. That's not a given. That's not the environment. That's not the weather. That's something we can do something about. We can't say, oh, it's raining today. What can you do? No, no, no. This is, this is something that we as a nation, we as people can do something about. And making aspirational middle-class parents 
pull out their poor, depressed children who don't get to go to the school that the parents want them to go to is a symptom of a much larger problem. The answer, of course, is to have in that area five, because there's five at the moment, five good state secondary schools. So it doesn't really matter to the parents whether you go to this one or that one. There is a basic assumption that if your child goes to a state secondary school, it's going to be well enough resourced to allow that to happen, which is the opposite, as I was saying before, of what happened in Tasmania. And on that note, we come to the end of our dogs program. But before we go, here's the last, the last movement in the suite in C minor, a gig. us all down again. Thanks, David. And thanks, Mr. Clarenbaugh. That is the final movement in his suite in C minor, the geek. Yeah, all little dancers there on the harpsichord. Cheers you up after having to deal with oh, the poor. There's a sadness and I know Jean and I don't see eye to eye on, on what I call the mendacious aspirational middle classes, but there's a sadness to it all where they're forced to fight each other. You, yes, can, imagine, you, you can imagine the street where one side Mm. were the winners and the other side of the street were the losers. Yeah. I mean, it's a horrible thing. Well, there are many, many teachers in public schools still and I've met them and I was so proud to be one of them who are determined that the losers are not going to be losers. There might be problems with the income of their parents but when those children are in our schools and the teachers are doing their best then there is always hope. And all power to the public school teachers who are committed and who are continuing to serve the children of the poor. Indeed, the children of everyone, Jane, rich yeah. and poor alike. We need the middle classes in our public schools to help. We need to all be together. To help themselves. 
help themselves. Rich, poor, Calathumpian, Catholic, that doesn't matter altogether. But you've been listening to the DOCS program. We are the defenders of government schools. That's what we do. That's what we will do. That's what we have done for decades now because we need to. The only reason we'll go away is if the problem is solved, (laughs) which it hasn't been yet. We still need to fight. And if you're interested in what we have to say and what we do, um, then check us out, please do, on our website on www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. But until next week, when the struggle will go on and we'll reveal more things you don't hear on other radio stations, it's bye for now from the Dogs Program on 3CR. Says he.